This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 66, In Maps We Trust. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Morning, Hunter. Uh, yeah, yawn. Oh my God, yawn. I'm so tired mm, because boys. I, I, I'm so sleepy, and I hope you're listening to this really early in the morning too. So maybe you're sleepy. Yeah. Good morning, dear listener. Today on ASMR SCPT TI4 TTS. Oh my God, that would actually be a really good podcast. Is a podcast where we talk about Twilight Imperium to make you go to sleep. Yeah, I, I, I isn't that what this podcast is? I thought. That's oh what yeah, we were doing I forgot. Time. So welcome to the Sleep Aid podcast that <laughs> it's always been. I don't know why people get so excited about it. It's like, are you guys going to sleep or not? You guys are supposed to go to sleep, okay? This wasn't for conversation. It's this not, is for sleepy time. Yeah, it's like people keep sending us stuff and talking about the game all the time. I'm like, you're not supposed to be playing the game. You're supposed to be going to sleep, yeah, all right? come on now. You got work to do in the morning. <laughs> well, we... Uh... I we're both a, a little bit sleepy because we're like we're in the middle of this tournament and it's 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 really um games back to back. That's I, yeah. you know, we're we're watching two games this weekend, two games next weekend. That's not a complaint by the way. I hope that didn't come off as like a, oh, we're, we're exhausted from watching so many games. It's just that we're, you know, we're trying exhausted to from watching so many games, okay? <laughs> like but uh we're going to so we have an episode proper today, uh, but of course we had a, a game that we've got to talk about. We gotta we gotta break down a little bit of uh, the game we saw. We're recording this Sunday morning before our second game, so unfortunately for this episode, we're not gonna have two games to talk about. But we might have I don't know three games to talk about next week. It'll, yeah. it'll depend. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but we do have a game to talk about. Uh, so I want to start diving into it. But just to yeah. let you know, too, though, today's episode is is not just that. So if you're looking for your normal Space Cats Peace Turtles content, never fear. Today is a Space Kitty episode uh, that we did with In Mac We Trust. Uh, hence today's episode, In Maps We Trust. Um, we're going to have a conversation with Mac about map building and the crazy maps that he makes, as well as a bunch of just, like, normal ideas within map building. And... If you want to listen to just that and you don't really care about the tournament or you want to avoid spoilers of the tournament and you want to listen to this um, portion of the podcast after you've watched the game, um, you're going to go ahead and jump to a time code that Matt from the future is going to tell you right now. 58 minutes. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for doing that for me. I appreciate your future wisdom and your courage and your spirit and your honor. Um, wow! Really, thank you so much. Does Map from um, the Future know what happened in Game Three, though? Like, um, maybe. Maybe I'm not gonna I, have time to edit this before the game. I think so, Matt. I think Matt from the Matt, Future should throw in a little nugget about you know the game where we've yet to watch. Oh yeah, that okay, might be well, fun. Well, he's gonna he's gonna do that. He's gonna he's gonna give us a little nugget and right. Powerball numbers for tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> 
and whoever whoever's gonna win tonight's hockey game. And he's uh, gotta but... sleep with his grandmother. Oh wait, no, that's the that would be if the past. Well, no, it could be in the future too, because <laughs> Matt's grandma from the future is there. <laughs> right, <so>. right. <laughs> oh man. But uh, should we? Should his we grandma traveled to the future from the past. A sexy younger version. Oh no! <laughs> and then Matt from the future fell for her. <laughs> um, can we move on? All right. So game bit? number two. How did okay. it? How did it start? It was an interesting round one, and I got to see a. I I was popping in and out of the game because yeah. I had a busy, crazy Saturday. Um, um, but let's 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 dive into first thing. Um, how did the draft go? The draft was um fairly. Um, I would say this is our, our first standard draft. This is what I expected drafts to look like. Game one was, I would say, defined by its kind of crazy draft and the factions that ended up in it. Mm-hmm. This one is like, if you listen to our drafting episode, this is the these are the factions we expected to get into games. Well, what factions did we have, Matt? So we had the Mentak Coalition, played by Dimitri. We had the Necrovirus, played by Alex. We had the Yin Brotherhood, played by Furious George. We had the Isaral Tribes, played by Mark. We had the Barony of Letnev, played by Imson. Arborek by Dodonko, and that's it. That's all of our players. So, um, yeah, pr- pretty, pretty standard, like, middle-tier, middle-upper-tier factions, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a pretty standard draft. Um, and... As as luck would have it, uh, the first rung of the draft was everyone picking um, factions, which meant the final player to pick actually had first pick of any slice. And so we had Arborek in Slice of the Gashly, which also feels like a, just a really standard thing that should happen in a lot of games. You know, the, the, the lowest tier faction was in what's regarded as the highest tier slice mm-hmm. and the highest tier faction was kind of in the, the low, you know, dangerous Diplo was the final slice chosen, which I think most people think of as the kind of worst slice. I thought people thought fast and cultured was it's, the it's worst bo- slice. It's back and forth, you know, but mm-hmm. both of them have their, their ups and downs. And so it depends on the factions that end up in there. Um, do we want to go around and say who was in which slice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's good to be, cause I think there are some people that know the map really well and that it'll right. be helpful to those people. So Arborek, like I just said, was in Slice of the Gashly. Going clockwise from there in big and tight was the Necrovirus. Um, on Necrovirus's other side was the Barony of Letnev in Fast and Cultured, which is a good slice for Barony of Letnev. A blue yeah. and red skip. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that, I agree. That becomes pretty good. Um, in Little and Tight was Mentak Coalition, another solid like matchup between the two of them. Mm-hmm. In Darien Slice was Yin Brotherhood. Yep. So far, many solid... <laughs> Uh, pairings and then in dangerous diplo was the asaral tribes which i think is fine um i I wouldn't say it's especially overpowered or anything but it's it's you know i it's a good faction to be there Um, i mean asaral's so great that i mean give them they could kind of just exist it's fine yeah i don't really know if i care what slice asaral ends up in right Um, a green skip is is good and that would be nice yeah Uh, but you don't need it yeah yeah, I actually um, don't even know if Green Sip is good because I like all the green, uh, the green yeah, path every for green tech Isarl's is great. So yeah, you, yeah, you're right. There's nothing to skip. I f- I almost forgot that uh, transparistal plating is is one green requirement. So you get your max right. of skip right there. So yeah, actually no, there's you don't you don't want what you want is maybe a blue skip. Blue skip would be cool if you're looking to avoid um, 
anti-mass maybe yeah. but even then sometimes you want anti-mass and then in dangerous diplo specifically you kind of want an anti-mass so yeah i don't know anyways um going into round one i don't know uh hunter did you have any favorites for this game did you think anything about the the kind of makeup of the map and what you how you expected things to go well, I got a, I I had a re, a weird um feeling in the air that was making me look at Necro's play because yeah. Necro did something that I thought was really genius in round one. Necro um took trade, yeah. Um, and I believe they were like third or fourth pick, so it was like kind of it was it wasn't it was like okay they're going for trade right um and. This is how they negotiated their round one trade. They said, all right, uh, they they played the trade card before they could trade with anybody. And they were right. like, all right, I will refresh one of my neighbors, but they have to send a ship over here right. to initiate the trade. Right. Which I thought was like, wow, this is... What a deal. And I, yeah, yeah. Uh, because they're Necro, they're going to destroy the ship and take right. the tech. Exactly, and even more conveniently, Arborek was, of course, the neighbor that wanted to take them up on it. Arborek yeah, is Arborek. desperately in need of money round one. So Arborek was like, yeah, okay, I'll send a cruiser straight, you know, right away, sir. On, I'm, I'm on my way. Yeah. Um, because Which was really... Arborek needs that money, mm-hmm. and um, and Necro wants especially a cruiser from, from Arborek. I mean, that's going to maybe be Sarween tools. You could let it sit there and eventually get like Latani two or Neural or Dat. Like there's a right, lot of tech right, that right. Necro could use to farm that. Um, that got turned a little bit sour though. At one yeah, point. The, it was like I I think uh, maybe the player. I I actually I I don't I don't want to try and figure out what they were thinking. Um, but they attacked early. They attacked before the Arborette could research any tech, and all they right. ended up getting out of it was Majin. I I. I thought it was a play for this round. I thought they were just like, yeah. well, they're getting Sarween. It wouldn't be bad to have Sarween, so I'll right. get Sarween. You know? Right. Yeah. I just realized I misspoke, too, and I, I already can I can sense the errata in the air. I know that Necro starts with Daxiv, and I know they don't need to copy Daxiv from Arborek. Thank you. Okay. Got it. Um, but yeah, I, wait, I, wait. I, I why, hated why would, why would Why would Arborek even have Daxiv? They start with Daxiv. No, Arborek starts with Major. Oh, Arborek. No, I'm talking about Necro. I'm talking about oh, Necro. Okay. I said Necro would want to copy Daxiv. Well, now I'm, I have an errata for you. Okay, I thought here. you said that they were getting Daxiv from Arborek. That's well, what it sounded you, like you, you said. Thank you for your errata submission. We'll see if it makes it into the episode. Uh, uh, well, it better. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I, I was really sad to see uh, Necro jump on, on Majin like this. I think maybe they were just afraid of that cruiser leaving next round. Or um, like the, just the timing of when they needed to start moving their ships out. I think they were a little bit anxious to see them lose their bait, and they and and one of the first objectives out was two tech and two colors. So I think in their head it was like, I just need to get this done. I just well, need to move in a direction of some tech, get it, and and hope for the best later down the road. Well, I want to say I like the play even if you're not necro and it isn't about like an aggressive right. other sure. second part. I like the play just as like I, I mean I just trade. think it's smart because yeah. a lot of times the person with trade is the one that goes out of their way and puts a ship in a place to trade right. with. But I think if I think just saying like no, you gotta if you're gonna trade, you gotta come to come, me. Yeah. Yeah. To exactly. to a faction like Arborek or like Sardak Nor. Like factions right. that like they don't have like you have leverage over them automatically, basically. Right. right. Like I think recognizing that I don't think every faction's gonna be like, all right, sure. Like 
Some yeah. some are. It just depends on where where they're at. Like some people, I think, love trade so much that they will, will sometimes like over prioritize it and like you know send who knows what. Right. But um, I just thought it was a was a cool move, and I think I will probably steal it uh, yeah. in the future, like and use it for myself. That's how much I liked it. Um, yeah. The other really notable thing about round one is that Arborek had just the wildest the craziest uh, so, round one so yeah uh, yeah i want to break it down because there are many many steps and and the first and most important part of all of this is arborek made a gamble round one a, a dangerous gamble yeah um but it 100 percent paid off i mean it, it was the luckiest arborek round one i've ever seen but also the best played arborek right like he took the luck and used every ounce of it mm-hmm. so that's I think the sign of a great player is, okay, you were willing to make the gamble and it wasn't, it's not like it was a, a stupid gamble. It was just like, a, I'm going to take my chances on this. Right. And he did the secondary of politics mm-hmm. um, to get two action cards, which is kind of like, as Arbrecht, you're like, no, 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 you need, you need tech. And Arbrecht had warfare. Um, Arbrecht got, no, 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 Arbrecht got the tech, but, but we were afraid of him not being able to do the secondary of warfare. Is that right? No, no, I'm so, getting it backwards. Yeah, you're you're messing it Arborek up. Arborek had warfare. Arborek had warfare, yeah. and um, we we were afraid of them, you know, doing the secondary attack. And then, you know, what else are they going to do the secondary of? They chose to do politics, um, which in in some games could end up being like you kind of just burned a command counter round one. Like mm-hmm. if you don't get great action cards that pay off, it may have been a wasted thing. But you take the hit. You still got a command counter. You're still going to be able to do tech. Um, but the tech person was actually kind of stalling tech out. Uh, Arborek, because Necro was making the deals they were making, their first action was to send a cruiser over in the Necro system. So no expansion. Right. Uh, and then the cards that they drew were the action card that lets you research tech for four trade goods. And the other action card was frontline deploy- deployment, which is three ground forces on any planet. So Arborek round one, that's huge i mean that's three more production you're already starting off on a, on a big foot and both of those action cards are delays right so so that's Arbrecht's three first, three actions right yeah. three actions before he had to do anything and then his fourth action was to move ships out he even could have we had counted it out where he could have done six uh, playing warfare didn't have to be anything until his sixth action right he ended up doing it on his fifth but that stalled every single player on the board out of uh warfare except for technically barony didn't have to get stalled out of it but barony didn't want to waste all of the barony who's who picked leadership but barony wasn't wanting to just burn command counters just to do the secondary of warfare right so he ended up nobody got um the ability to refresh off of warfare and then still move those carriers out in round one when we Mm -hmm. talk about stalling out warfare we're not saying that the person's not allowed to do the secondary of warfare but it's that you can't use that new carrier you just built to then move out round one and get new planets. Um, so Arborek successfully stalled people out, which for Arborek is huge because it puts them back on like kind of an even playing field, right? right Arborek right. has a terrible, terrible start. So getting really lucky round one, I remember all of us were kind of like, oh my gosh, Arborek is like on track now. Not ahead, but this puts Arborek at level playing field with everyone else. I want to even think about like how like how much of a gamble was that? Like, is that, should that maybe even be standard now for Arborek? Because like, right. if you get tech or warfare, if you get one of the strategy cards that you would otherwise be using your right. um, counter on, 
it's not a bad idea. The other thing to note is they used the action card to get the tech instead of doing the secondary of tech. Right. Um, so they got to control the timing themselves as long as they got the four trade goods, which was part of kind of their deal with Necro. They ended up getting four trade goods out of all of it. Um, but they uh, they just went ahead and bypassed the need of spending another command counter. So they went into round two with one extra command counter than basically they expected to have, which helped open up their their options round two of kind of re-maneuvering all their stuff around and, and building up even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I would call it the new standard because, again, it's... I mean, you could end up with a bunch of junk. You could end up with two action cards that do nothing for you and you wasted a, a command counter around one. So I don't know. I, I think it paid off for them, but I don't think it's a play that's good enough to um, make a part of your play no matter what or anything like that. I, I think it just depends on a lot of factors, and they, they chose to go for it, and it worked. But I think you could see plenty of games where it doesn't. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, so after round one, I basically had to peace out, and then I like came back when you guys were in the late game. So... Right. Let me. What happened? Let me know what what was that yeah. mid game like. What's What's funny for you is when you came back in the late game, it almost felt like not a ton. Like, yeah, I was gone and, for a long time, but it didn't feel like a lot had same. happened. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, obviously a lot had happened, but uh, to to go over it pretty quickly, round two, um, Mentak had some kind of interesting mismanagement of his ships, so it kind of like Mentak was getting set back in a board position sense, but. He finished taking a slice and was staying in the lead. Mentak was, uh, I think, tied with the point leader round two. Or or may, I think maybe everyone may have been tied round two. Um, and round two is also when Necro started attacking Arborek. Um, he, he moved into Lazar Sakulag, which is a system adjacent to Arborek's home system. Um, and his only purpose for doing so was he's Necro. He needs to get tech. So there's mm-hmm. two tech, two colors on the board. So he's, he's just trying to farm tech. Um, but the attack that he launched... Did not score a single hit. Whoa. He, he sent in a fleet. Um, Arborek retreated. Necro's Dreadnought missed. The fleet got away. And then the ground combat, uh, he missed his ground combat shots and the other ground combat or the other ground forces scored their hits. So uh, a pretty much wasted attack for Arborek. Um, or for Necro. Or, or there may, or in that fight, there may have not even been ground combat. He may have not been able to do it. I forget. But regardless, he didn't get any tech. Um, and that was kind of his only purpose for doing anything aggressive towards Arborek. I'm actually um, curious because um, it did sound like, and it looked like, like once I had returned, that there had been a lot of aggression between Arborek and Necro. Did Necro yeah. ever strike out against Barony? Because I no. always felt like Barony is probably more... Well, I don't know. They're both, they both got juicy faction tech... Right. But I feel like Arborek doesn't reliably research a lot of tech, whereas Barony does. So yeah, I think the play was early game. It became about Arborek's the easier one to attack. Barony's got a dreadnought. Barony's going to yeah. build a big fleet. Barony could easily retaliate. Might as well try to pick off the weaker Arborek fleets. Um, and it kind of became a sunk cost thing. I mean, he he spent a bunch of ships to get over there, and then didn't get any hits. But Arborek's ships were still reduced a little bit, and he had taken. Um, just like Arborex's time away from him. So it's like, well, I better do it again. And it kind of just became that of like Necro sort of kept stabbing at Arborex every now and then. And Arborex would try to negotiate Necro away from them. But he, um, I think at any point Necro could have turned his tail and gone the other way and just tried to rebuild. But because that tech objective was just constantly on his mind. He was just trying to get that done and out of the way. And it 
it took him a while um, just because of how things kind of kept working out for him. Um, some other notable stuff from round two is Asaro got Magion implants round two. Ooh. Uh, so he, he played tech uh, round one and got one green and lucked out to get tech again round two. And so then he bought two tech round two to get hypermetabolism and Magion implants. Wow, weird. So Sarl had gone all the way down his tree by the end of round two. That's awesome. Which was pretty cool, except for there was two techs and two colors out. So he was kind of opting to ignore that and say, yeah, I'll get it later, which I don't mind, honestly. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, there's no need to rush to get tech objectives when you can easily score them in another round later on, as long as you're still scoring some other objective obviously it would be bad if you weren't scoring any objective at all and then didn't get the tech objective that kind of sucks but right. if you're getting you know all the objectives in the stage ones were like economic spend five trade goods spending influence all, all that kind of stuff um so they were keeping up with that and just opting to get the tech later um and the other thing is yin took mechatol rex round two okay. so we had a round two agenda phase i don't remember all the exact agendas but going into round three um now, Isarl started also applying a little bit of pressure to Arborek. There was always kind of a thing of quiet pressure. It wasn't like Arborek or Isarl started moving into Arborek space, but like Necro and Isarl kept having secret conversations. And so Arborek was like, uh, well, that is about me then, right. I guess, obviously. <laughs> um, and so e- even though by, by round four or five or something, Arborek kept was starting to say, Asaril, why have you been so mean to me all game? And Asaril was kind of being like, I mean, technically, I've never done anything to you. I have, I've never actually attacked you. Right. But maybe one time or something, I forget. But but the aggression was like on a meta level, like it, it, he felt the aggression from both right. of his neighbors. Right. He only actually got hit by Necro, but there was obviously kind of plans being made between them. Um, but it wasn't th- enough pressure to crush him. Arbrek was still doing okay, and he had enough of a slice to survive. What do you think was the, what was the Sarl looking at for Arborek? Just like control, obje- or like was there control objectives that Isarl needed? Or like what, what do you feel like made Isarl lean that way versus leaning? Because it sounds like, like really the, and this might be something we see more and more in the tournament is just that some of the players were like, well, I'm going to put a lot of pressure on a faction that is regarded as weaker. Yes. But then the two, like two stronger factions, I mean, probably the strongest faction, uh, I don't even think that they were, well, the strongest faction is probably Sarl, but like this table. Yeah. Barony, Barony would probably be second for most people. And it's just weird that it sounds like Barony was not really checked in any way. Right. I mean, I, I think, for Asarl, it was more about, again, it was mostly like spendy objectives. So in reality, Asarl was just sitting in their own slice, minding their own business. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I don't know if there was, a, I, if anything, it was more Necro always coming to Asarl and saying, hey, I want to have a secret conversation with you. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I could even say really what, what the pressure was. I know Arborek felt that pressure, but I don't really know what Asarl's reasoning was for engaging in those conversations and and being part of that sort of like meta pressure um but yeah i I don't know i i think it's it didn't end up crushing arborek or anything at least not at this point um later arborek's game continued to go south um, just because the the pressure never let up but um 
But by this point, I kept feeling like Arbrecht could come back from this. They're actually going to be fine, was, yeah. was my main opinion. Um, also, round two, Necro did manage to get Magion implants. This was part of the deal. Like they, they, It wasn't just that like Necro jumped on a Sorrel. They, they kind of worked out a way to let Necro get some tech. Um, so that was part of Arborek feeling that pressure is like these two guys are like feeding off of each other and working together a little bit. Um, and then Dito offered a support for the throne. You mean Arborek? Uh, Dito is Arborek. Yes. Sorry. Right. Uh, Arborek offered a support for the throne and a political secret to two neighbors to use sabotages against cards that were being played against him. I think one of the cards was from Asarl and one from, was from Necro. I'm not sure. That's the kind of aggression Asarl was doing to Arborek, was just like cards. Throwing, throwing kind of junk action cards at him and, and, and hurting him a little bit. And he was getting sick of it, so he started offering up big stuff to people who would play their sabotages against those cards. Um, so he ended up, he, they, they were both non-binding deals, but I believe he got maybe Mentax um, uh, support for the throne. No, or vice versa. I mean, he gave Mentak a support for the throne for the use of one sabotage, and he gave Yin Brotherhood a political secret for the use of one sabotage. Mm-hmm. But he had to transfer both of those during the agenda phase. But going into round four, uh, Mentak has a support for the throne, and that's what started to push Mentak ahead, because then, and I don't remember the rationale for this, but Barony and Mentak did a support for the throne swap. They both just wanted to secure their borders and focus on their other neighbors, and uh, this put Mentak at four points, and that ha- that was the lead, I believe. It was four or five points, maybe. But Mentak had kind of a clear lead, and Barony was a little bit more in the pack, which I thought was a beautiful play because it netted Barony a point, but it made Mentak look like the one to watch. Yeah. Right. So it already, people were sort of kind of wanting to deal with, with Mentak a little bit, um, but it did set up... A, a, a strange border issue, especially in the later game. I mean, th- that support for the throne lasted through to the end of the game, but it became a, an issue for how those two players were going to deal with each other when it came to final game or final round shenanigans. And how has Barony's game been? We have, we barely talked about Barony at all up until yeah. this point. How has uh, Barony you, been when doing? When you watch the game, you're going to hear us saying, I don't know what Barony's path to success is here. I wasn't, I had started to give up on Barony. Um, I saw the support for the throne play, even though I liked what it did for him. He wasn't getting ahead with it, and I didn't see him obviously going for any objectives. But again, I think that's kind of the feeling of spendy objectives, is you're sort of like, well, you don't have to do anything especially active. You just need to get the money and spend it. Right. Um, So I just wasn't seeing Barony do anything specific. Um, But... Round four is where that turned around, basically. The first three rounds, I just was like, I don't I don't know what Barony's doing. I remember feeling that way about Mentak, even though Mentak was getting a lead. I was like, I don't understand what Mentak is, like, doing. I don't know what he's setting up for. Versus, like, Necro was making active movements on the board. Asaro right. was, was playing action cards and doing things to, like, s- secure their slice. But it just kind of felt like... Mentak was maneuvering around weird, and same with Barony. Barony kept like moving their ships around in weird ways. I know the biggest thing with Barony, the reason I felt like they weren't going for the right objectives was they started with um, have five dreadnoughts on the board, or maybe that was their second secret objective, but they just weren't. One of their first builds was to build their flagship. They built their flagship round two, hmm. which to me is sort of a, ooh, that's, that's dangerous. Flagships usually don't need to come out that early, and... You should have spent that $8 on two dreadnoughts. You need to be working on stockpiling your dreadnoughts because you need to do that objective at some point. 
Um, well, let me ask you this: What? Um, because I I don't see it in the notes here. What? When did Mech? Because by the time I came back, because we're about now to the point where I mm-hmm. would basically be back. Yeah. Um, Mechatol was owned by Barony. Barony owned right. Mechatol. So when did that change hands, and what was the circumstances of it? Right. So I'm trying to remember, and I might get this wrong, but I I know Yin, um had to abandon it at one point or somebody else jumped on it. Um, and then it was left empty and Barony took it when it was empty. No, no, no. The empty- Man, you know what? Honestly, I do not remember. Um, so, but, but, I, I but, just, but the point is it was kind of uneventful. Like it wasn't yeah, like it wasn't, Barony it wasn't didn't major like plays. Exactly. Snatch yeah, it, it from someone's hands. Like it would just kind of no. got like, it just got confused. There wasn't or enough on it and he got to take it. And yeah, it, it was not like a momentous occasion um except for then nobody else was really jumping on it i believe barony got one imperial point off of mechatol right um but the bigger thing is in the round four agenda phase everyone was kind of at even level maybe like five points with maybe i think mentak one ahead or maybe it was four to six uh mentak had like a slight lead um and then barony got the crown of amphidia yeah Which, and barony had two secret objectives that we were counting out and we knew barony could do mm-hmm. most most players had one secret objective that was definitely accomplishable but their second secret objective would be something really difficult barony had two very easy to accomplish secret objectives plenty of stage one public objectives that they could still score and so as soon as barony kind of lucked into getting the crown of amphidia basically the rest of the table just didn't put enough votes on one person to not let them get it so barony got to spend all of their votes on themselves to get it basically un, un you know unavoidable it was really stuff. wild because it was basically like the second barony got it uh we just basically nonstop talked about the path yeah. that barony because barony had so it was it was barony with speaker token on right. Mechatol Rex. Right. This was when they were going to get their Imperial point. That was the problem. And that's that was the sort of like undercutting part of it too, right? It was like, Barony doesn't have a lead, but clearly they are about to get one. Right. Uh, they're clearly about to get a lot of points out of this. And I just think that the the what's weird is that the table, on the other side of the table, when we're, ta- when we're talking about, it's not like Necro gets any votes, but like Arborek and Isarl, um, there was just more, I think, distrust on their mm-hmm. end. So I feel like in that, um, I don't know, actually, no. I, I, it was hard to tell what they were thinking with that one. Yeah. Um, I know we were really excited about the possibility of um, Isarl had repeal law in, right. their, in their action card hand. And we right. were really excited about the potential of Isarl getting Crown of Amphidia and then repealing the law right. and getting to keep the point forever. Right, um, right, which would have been super cool, but uh, but yeah, it just kind of it, like the agenda phase was like really heated, but then it just kind of ended uneventfully. Like Barony right. basically just like just just sat there. It was one and- of those situations of the first two people to vote. Nobody wants to pay them for their votes because there's too many other people that you're gonna have to pay later on. So for Asaro, it's like, well, Mentak is first to vote. I can't pay Mentak for a vote right now because I need to worry about Arborek and uh barony and maybe even yin going just before me but like mentak being the first one to vote i can't pay them but then that meant mentak voted for themselves yin voted for themselves or something like that you know they just kind of threw their votes in a random direction right and by that point it was too late for asarl to get enough votes on his side Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so, I, it's funny. Like you've you've brought that idea up a couple times, and I actually think that the that the way that you need to think about it is you just need to buy as yeah. many votes as possible to to make it moot. Right. So I, I mean, agree. like I, I'm I'm getting more and more on that side. I, I think that's the flawed logic that people use that I've used many, many times is like, right. I can't pay the first person to vote. Sometimes that is true. But if you look at the vote counts, sometimes it's like, no, nah, I got to and, and that's how I've been hosed on agendas before is someone was willing to pay the person, the first person who votes. You I know, mean, in, in, if, in our holiday spectacular, EJ paid paid off the first two people to vote. And that completely decimated my whole game. So you just have to be willing to like get the votes on your side when it matters. Yeah, I mean, I think like I think you just if you want to win a vote reliably, you probably need two other people's votes. Yeah. And I think you you have to kind of it, I would love to do a whole episode on this, actually, because my logic is that the first person to vote you actually just have to buy their votes, basically, right. regardless, because you right. have to get you that got, lead you get started. Lead. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you make them an offer, and it's slightly worse than the offer you're going to make the second player. Right. The second player doesn't necessarily have to be the player right after them, but it probably needs to be that third player so that yeah. the last two players will just... or because uh, you're going to be one of those players, whatever, it doesn't matter. So that the remaining players basically look at it and they're like, well, I'm not even going to bother throwing my votes right. at it. That's yeah, what you, you, you want. want. You, you want, want to create the, that situation. Right. You want the last like two people to just abstain because right, it's like, because, eh, it's too far ahead and it's not worth me dedicating all my votes to this. Yes, so forget yes. it. I don't care if I could win it by dedicating all my votes. But in most cases, it's not going to be worth it unless it's like a game winning point or something like that. Most of the time, people are not going to be willing to, to pay too much. I mean, the, 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 the agenda phase that you're referring to with EJ, his offers was to the first Support player, the which, which was me, uh, trade agreement, which was mm. the perfect measured juiciness for me to yeah. be like, yep, taking that. And yeah. then the second offer was support for the throne. And right. it was for a public execution agenda. So like, and he was a Sarl. So it was like critical that he right. do it that way. Cards. Well, yeah. and, and it was my... That was a whole other story, too, of my bad being like, I was the speaker and I put public execution on top. What kind of absolute moron would would make that stupid decision? So Right, you know. right. Y yeah, you didn't you didn't think about you being a target. You thought about Isarl more. Right. Um, OK, so let's get into it. So Barony gets Crown of Amphidia. We're basically going nuts at this point. Right. And we see the path. Um, well, we see the path based on the idea that um, that public disgrace doesn't come out and ruin his imperial right. grab. But it was an interesting situation because Barony and, and Mentak and even Isarl were right. all sitting in a row and they were all pretty much jockeyed for winning the game. They, they were right. all not necessarily within striking distance, but right. like in, in better positions than the rest of the table. Right. So the, it was kind of a public disgrace nightmare and I yeah. don't remember which player had public disgrace, but I... It was Arborek. Oh, okay. So so it was really hard to tell if you public disgraced Barony, who was the speaker, and kept them from taking Imperial, if Imperial would have just, like, gone to then Mentak, who then would have maybe won with it. Right. Um, yeah, you felt like you were king-making, but even more so, I think, too, was the idea that um, nobody besides the Barony had a logical route to winning this round round five right whereas we could see the the situation we were kind of foreseeing was oh my gosh barony's gonna win and nobody's gonna see it coming everybody right. thinks there's gonna be a round six but barony could win it 
But the reason no one's going to use their public disgrace is because they want to use it on round six. So if Barony can strike everything they need to strike, check all their VP boxes, they're going to win before anyone realizes it's too late. Yeah. And uh, essentially, round five um, was... I mean, pretty much went exactly the way that we thought it would, with the exception right. of one very specific play. But, like, Barony did get Imperial. They got the Mechatol point. They claimed a, a public objective. Yep. They were set up to claim another, and they were trying to clean up their uh, their secret objectives. And they had one status phase and one uh, action phase. The action right. phase was Unveil Flagship, which right. kind of makes it like, well, lucky they did build it early because right. they, right. they did get that. Um and they were able to accomplish uh, the status phase one, which was uh, be adjacent to uh, a no. They, home what they did was they, they spent eight influence during the round. Yeah, the two. So what happened was we we saw that their final two actions for the round was going to be they need to kill something with their flagship, they need to win a combat with their flagship, and they have two options, both being status phase scores. One was. Two systems adjacent to Mechatol Rex. Yeah. The other was one system adjacent to a home player's, or to a player's home system. Right. They're, um, they're secret. Obviously, the Mechatol Rex was a more difficult option, um, whereas Mentac, they were, there, there was an empty space next to Mentac that they could have easily, that they were easily going to jump on. Now, the question then became, what's the correct order to do things? At what point are you showing your hand that you're going to win this, fa- this right, round? Right, right. Right. Um, so they were stalling, and they were just trying to do all this stuff just to like delay the inevitable. And the table, um, the table wasn't really seeing it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure maybe some of them like had the, had them on their radar, um, but they had no way of knowing that Barony just had eked it out. Right. Um, they were probably a lot of players were probably thinking like Barony is a problem, Mentac is a problem, Isarl right. might be a problem. Exactly. Um, which is that's frankly that's too many people to be thinking right. about. Um, but we were just freaking out because we could see that like Mentak and Asarl just didn't quite have it, and mm-hmm. Barony was just right on the edge. Right. Um, and I'm about to break. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think we all were interested in seeing the flagship was sitting above Mechatol Rex, and we and there were lots of like single ships adjacent to Mechatol Rex. Yeah. It was like, oh, this this flagship's just going to win any oh, fight oh, oh, oh. it wants to do. Because why? Because what had happened to Isarl? I can't believe we haven't even talked, like, it before. Because when I, okay, so let, let me, let me before we move on, because we're about to get to just basically just in-game talk. Right. Uh, I want to talk about this, because when I left, Isarl had ships, and looked like Isarl oh, was having back, a they... normal start. And when Is- when I came back, Isarl had one Dreadnought and one Carrier. Right. But I did not see all yep. of the fighting that had supposedly occurred. Matt, what happened to Isarl's game? So, second game in a row where Wormhole Research Agenda came out. And Wormhole Research came out the Agenda phase immediately after Isarl scored have ships in each wormhole. But yeah. to do that, they were in um, they were in the uh, Dangerous Diplo slice, so they put a decent-sized fleet in the wormhole right by them, but then they sent a major fleet over into the empty wormhole next to Barony, um, basically saying, like, I'm going to put this here, and I do not want, A, Necro to snipe it, and B, I don't need Barony to, to completely demolish this. I need to get this point. So they put... Almost their entire fleet's worth of ships 
um, in those two systems, and then wormhole research came out, and they they got all of their ships nuked. Just brutal. So Second yeah, game in a row. We've I just that. wanted to throw that out because um, Isarl uh, had a, had a good game, and yeah. just you know you can't account for that. Right, stuff. would have otherwise had a much more direct path to victory had they not lost all their ships that they were gonna do a lot of work with in round five it's stuff like that that makes me like i don't do this so i'm 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 saying this like i'm criticizing somebody else but actually i really just want to i want to start making more um deals that involve political secret just for the off chance just because who knows maybe that's gonna be the thing that swings it right um and political secret is the least valued uh, promissory note right. which should mean that you're willing to use it in all kinds of little deals right basically right um so the big thing here then is um i, I felt barony was doing their final round play a little bit out of order um because i think attacking with the flagship and killing something is sort of unstoppable right like right especially in that situation it's like it was gonna be one sh- one ship you're going to kill the thing and you're immediately going to score the objective. So, boom. You should do that in like the middle of the round and get it done. Yeah. Um, and, and people won't be on to you yet. They'll see you're trying to score an objective, but you're not. That's not your final point. You can't let that be your final point. Um, or visibly your final point. But instead, Barony went with putting a large fleet adjacent to Mentax home system, which is an obvious play for that objective. So people were already going, oh, Barony needs that secret objective. And then as soon as he launched an attack with his flagship, everyone was like, oh, he also is doing that secret objective. So suddenly that fight become, we must do everything in our power to stop Barony from scoring this objective. Right, right. But I mean, it it really was all all for naught uh, because what happened when... So Barony attacked Isarl's like one dreadnought. One basically. little dreadnought. Um, and, he di- and he did it with just like a, a small handful of ships. It was the um, flagship, a destroyer, and a dreadnought, correct? Right. Yeah. Yes. So um, they moved into a fight against a single Barony or a single Isarl dreadnought. Maybe one fighter? I forget if there was a fighter. But uh, the, the fight was obviously in Barony's favor and Barony was doing fine, but the dreadnought scored one hit. So they took the hit on the destroyer rather than take the hit on the dreadnought because they didn't have dreadnought two yet, and it's and a it was a sorrel. So like sorrel has a direct hit. That, There's no way a sorrel doesn't right, have a direct right. hit. That's solid logic. There's so no, we would we never kill, criticize. We that, kill the destroyer. But it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we then win the fight. We kill the dreadnought, and as luck would have it, sorrel has courageous to the end. Courageous to the end is you roll two dice for the ship at the ship's value so two dice on a five and for each hit you destroy a ship you do not score a hit you destroy an entire ship which means non-euclidean shielding is useless yep uh and you're doing two on a five it's a dreadnought like that's almost that's about as good as a courageous to the end as you can get and a sorrel got both hits flagship is destroyed dreadnought is destroyed no ships left in the system it no was it was Barony. so so brutal. So like yeah. Barony basically had all of this come together and then is going to be sitting at 9 going into the next round, which we were like we were freaking out. Right. Um the other thing I want to point out is at one point and this is why I also argue Barony should have launched the attack sooner is at one point the other system adjacent to Mechatorix he could have attacked was a carrier of Asaros. But because he delayed the 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 flagship fight until the end 
people were maneuvering things around and the carrier either was killed by something else or, or it left. I forget exactly where it went, but the Dreadnought became the only option. So if Barony had done the fight two rounds earlier and just killed that carrier, Courageous to the end certainly would not have killed his entire fleet. And he like he would have won the game. Right. Now, there's no way for him to know that, but I'm just saying I really do think launching the surefire action phase secret objective, you got to do that first. And then his very, very last action of the round should have been moving the big fleet next to Mentak. Because then when you make that move, everyone goes, oh, crap. He needs the other secret objective. And now it's too late for any of us to move in and attack that huge fleet. For sure. But I let, let me just say one thing in his defense. I, I agree with you. Um, I think we are going to get this feeling, though, a lot uh, yeah. while we're watching these games because we're watching them and not sure. uh, playing not in playing them. And them. honestly, I, 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 I watch for about an hour and then I'm like, I wish I was in this game. Like, right. I almost wish I could just like pop in. But yeah. um, I will say this. The table was not the table was aware of Barony, but they were not trying to stop Barony's Mm-mm. play. No. And I think Barony realized that and was like, listen, as long as they don't see me right. winning this. Keep a low profile. I basically have it. So I think the Unveil flagship, like getting that um, objective would have caused a lot of heat to come at Barony. And I think they realized it and was like, I need to wait to get that heat because I don't know what's going to happen. There's Maybe. an Isarl in the game. Sure. There is an Isarl in the game. I guess my only other remaining argument against that is he had a ceasefire from his necro neighbor and he had swapped support for the thrones with his mentac neighbor. So the two major people that are going to put him in check cannot attack him. So it's got to be an attack coming from across the board. So yeah, Asaro becomes really the only option. Um, but th- but see that was also really limiting to him for the for and I mean that that goes into play in the next round um because Barony could not attack either well Barony could attack necro uh it's just that they would have to burn a couple actions to do it. yeah it was gonna be tricky there was gonna have to be some ceasefire maneuvering um do we want to go into that so the agenda phase for round five was essentially nothing it was moot nothing really of note happened no and and it was intentionally uh so asarl i mean asarl had already been dunked on by wormhole research and i remember asarl uh, I think at one point even pled the case of like, I put two junk agendas on here because the last thing I need is um, po- political execution or just, you know, any agenda that is like crazy. You know, when he looks at the two cards and he sees two nothing burgers, he yeah. goes, that's fine. I just need to be safe because at this point by stopping Barony, Barony's now at nine points, but Asarl is at like eight and Mentak is at eight. Yeah. Um, Asarl has a shot because Asarl is speaker. So Asarl needs... Nothing to happen in the agenda phase. Yes, yeah, yeah, and needs to go into round uh, round six like strong. So that's exactly what happened in that agenda phase, and we then were counting things out, and it basically came down to if if Sarl doesn't win because the Sarl had um, Imperial. Oh, this is interesting too for that strategy yeah, phase. Yeah, so public um, disgrace got really dunked on in this game. Two <laughs> two things. Like... Two things. I I actually was really upset about is. Arborek got Magion implanted at least once, but I think even twice, and nobody ever took their public disgrace. Every time they stole something from Arborek, they took some other, you know, a skilled retreat or a decent card. But I remember every time being like, oh my gosh, Arborek is sitting on this public disgrace. They have to, they need to get that from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, at this point in the game though, 
round five status phase was the status phase that the action card discard pile got reshuffled. So we had gone like a round and a half knowing there were no more sabotages. All four sabotages had been burned. But then the entire discard pile got reshuffled into it and like three people drew sabotages. So Isarl got very lucky and one of the cards they drew was that sabotage. Right. And so, and let's talk about how lucky it was because there were two cards. So the ash, the action card deck was down to two cards left. Right. So, and it was Isarl's, um, Isarl was first because they were a uh, speaker or whatever. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were drawing action cards first. They, they drew those two. Obviously, there was no sabotage in that. You reshuffled the discard pile. Right. They right. drew a single their action third. card, their That's third, because they're Isarl, and that third was sabotage, which is wild because they were speaker. Arborek had public disgrace. Arborek goes to use public disgrace on Isarl, sabotage. And right. the most unlikely yep. sabotage draw ever. Right. You know what? To be clear, too, actually, I think uh, because Ar- uh, Isarl didn't draw first, you draw in um, initiative order, but Isarl had politics. So P- Isarl drew that sabotage off of the politics draw. Oh, that's that, what it was. They drew their two. Um, like you just said, and then the third one, when they played politics, was that sabotage. And yeah. then they drew three more during the status phase. But yeah, they they you're right. They grabbed that sabotage as the only draw initially from the discard pile. Um, but that meant Arborek played public disgrace, but sabotage came out. Uh, Sorrel gets to keep Imperial. So now you're looking at uh, Sorrel is sitting on three unit upgrades, and that's the objective. Sorrel's going to win it on their turn. Right. Uh, uh, if Asarl doesn't win it, Mentak has a very strange path to victory. Um, I remember there being like a, it's like, well, they need to draw this specific thing and they need this to happen for them. And it was kind of like a, ooh, they have a it, path, but it's it, really it was It was the weirdest one, but also Mentak was uh, strategically probably had the most exactly. solid position. Exactly. Uh, like really solid, like fleets, basically. They had fourth moon out. Right. Um, which was perfect as a barony deterrent. Not that barony would attack Mentak because they had traded support for the thrones. Um, actually, Mentak in general, Mentak's late game play was really good. Yeah. Um, I do want to add to going into the final round, barony had already rebuilt their flagship. Right. They rebuilt uh, it as like their final action of yeah. round five. And so essentially um, we have three players that could right. make it happen going into the what is going to be the final right. round. Because Barony does still have a chance. Now the question then becomes does Barony take the lowest possible initiative order or something else? Barony um, had and, the most options in the strategy phase. I remember talking yes. extensively about that. Like it it didn't really like that was the thing I noticed was that um Barony did not need any particular strategy card, which made no. me feel like Barony probably has this just through the sheer fact of they have the action phase secret. Yeah. And they're at and, nine. And they just need to score unveil flagship. Exactly. That's all they, they need. The problem is everybody at the table knows that they need to unveil their flagship. Yeah. Um, so for me, I would have liked to have seen them pick warfare because then you get to move it, try for one attack. Maybe they skilled retreat out. You pull the token, you go again. Um, or at least, especially he was surrounded by problems, right? He was surrounded right. ceasefire on his right, support for the throne on his left. Warfare lets him activate a system of necros, pull the token that you activated, 
and attack that system again or whatever. Well, see, I I I, I get what you're but, saying. I think you're hindsight 2020ing it a little bit because a little bit, because what, we were very into what they did pick. What what they did pick was uh, so obviously Isarl has Imperial. And uh, they still need to research their third unit upgrade yes, in order they don't have to it win. In the bag yet. Right. So Barony takes tech almost as a like because Barony just needs to win before Isarl can score. So right. essentially, Barony takes the um, the tech card in order to just sort of say like tech is not happening until I like I'm going to stall it. Exactly. I'm going to say when Isarl gets to get their tech. I'm not, right. I'm not letting myself be at the mercy of someone else maybe misplaying tech and handing a sorrow the game. Now I'm and, taking tech because I'm putting it in my control. Right, right. And I, and, I loved that. And I agree with you, though, if had that not been a factor, the best play pro- would have been warfare. But yeah. we still saw, like, uh, like Barony could probably make this happen without taking warfare. Um, but you're right. Warfare probably was the smartest right. pick. Regardless, um, the events changed very quickly. Yeah. Uh, because Isarl's home system got jumped on in the first round. Of, of actions um and they lost they had a parlay in hand but the player attacking had enough sh- had enough ground forces to attack one planet get parlayed and then attack the other planet right and land on it so asarl lost their ability to score during the action phase like we said earlier they had two ships on the board so there was a basically zero percent chance they were ever going to get their home system back because there were four ground forces on the planet mm-hmm. um, by the end of the action um, so that opened up Barony's new avenue. Now Barony can play tech whenever. Yeah. Uh, and Barony still didn't have three unit upgrades, but Barony needs to win during the action phase. And I love this because Barony's surrounded by ceasefire and support for the throne, as we've said. So Barony, with two tech, two blue tech already in hand, uses tech to jump up to Lightwave Deflector. Right. As well as uh, sk- they skipped to Lightwave Deflector and they got Dreadnought 2. Uh, which is exactly what they needed. They need to jump through Mentac to attack somebody else. Right. Or they need to double activate uh, Necro. And there was actually a couple easy fights they could have done on Necro, but because it was going to take so much time, they actually opted to take a huge major battle against Yin that they were a favorite in because they have non-Euclidean shielding. They have their flagship. There was like three Dreadnoughts Mm -hmm. versus, I think, two Yin Dreadnoughts, a Destroyer um, with a Yin that has Impulse Core. (laughs) which was fun. Um, basically, it was a very close fight. Uh, but in the end, it got left with one Barony flagship. Barony was terrified of direct hits, rightfully so. Yin didn't have any, but Barony was just killing off every unit beforehand. Um, they ended up losing their Dreadnought. They were left with one flagship against two dis- uh, sustained Dreadnoughts, which if you know the math of flagship plus uh, non-Euclidean shielding, he was never going to lose the fight from that point on. Right, Because right. every round he gets to repair the flagship. At most, all uh, Yin can do is two hits in a row, which gets soaked by non-Euclidean. So at that point, he actually, it was over. He he had won the fight. Um, but we got to see it be very, very close. It became one flagship versus one uh, Dreadnought. And then and then a Barony victory. Imsen. Imsen was the winner of game two of the right. Patreon tournament. Right, right. In, in a huge final basically two round push i mean really one round push that got stopped and then he still managed to succeed which is hard to do i think i mean usually you see one person get crushed when they're the leader and then the next person in line wins it yeah well this was this was not that i do want to call out who was that next in line person had we gone to the status phase mintak would have won handily 
Right. Um, and and Mentech, Mentech was Mentech played on... Mentech played yeah. very very well. Mentech well. played very well. Um, they they got two people's support for the thrones as Mentech. They only ambushed once. They very rarely were able to pillage. But like we, I you know, I I kind of gave them a little bit of guff for mismanaging their ships round two. But the rest of the game for them was like getting in a really solid position and always scoring the objectives they needed to score and just like playing a steady game. So yeah, they they had a very very close chance to winning that. Yeah, if Barony had lost that fight with their flagship, it was Mentax game, and I don't think anybody had a way to stop them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, really exciting game two of the tournament. Um, Obviously, we're going to see game three later today. Yep. Um, half an hour. <laughs> and half an hour. Oh, yeah. So we bet we got to start moving. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, the tournament has been so much fun like, uh, to, like thus far. Um, yep. It is crazy to me that our first two victors are, were an extra kingdom and yep. uh, Barony of Letnev. Barony of Letnev isn't as surprising, but I'm just happy that there is nothing predictable thus far right. about... Who, what faction Sol. is going to win? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't been Jolnar. It hasn't even been Asarl yet. Like and 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 been. that we've still like that. It has. It's not a rigid system. I didn't uh -huh. want it to be like you never see the really like right. S tier factions. I think right. if if a group of people decide, you know, in their draft that they just want to go all out and have all the right. big factions in, they will be able to do that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's going to be drafts where we're going to see someone, their starting hand is going to be Jolnar, Soul, and Sar. You know what I mean? There, there's right. like enough drafting that's going to happen. That's going to that's, that's happen at least once. So there's going to be games where these big, there's too many big factions in the nomination process to not let them through. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of variants. Um, but it's time to, <laughs> this is going to be a long one, let me tell you, because we still have an episode to do, Hunter. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we're so gonna, we're going we're gonna to jump into uh, a, a conversation with Mac, uh, where we're going to talk about maps and map placement and all that stuff. So, thank you for, for It's so good. It's a, it's a great conversation. It's super yeah, good. You're going to love it. It was really fun to do. This, we're, we're, we're recording this part after we've already had the conversation with Mac, and I'm really excited for you to hear his Space Kitty episode and, and everything he's got to contribute. Yeah. Let's get to that. Today is a Space Kitty episode, and uh, and I want to introduce Mac, the cartographer of chaos. Uh, Mac, say hello. Hello. Hello, Mac. Um, t today we're doing Mac's Space Kitty episode. He's been a long-standing Space Kitty, and uh, this is long overdue, especially considering the content of today's episode. Right. Um, you, we, we need to make Mac atone for some sins, uh, and we also just need to hear his philosophies on map building. This is going to be an episode about map building um obviously we've done an episode in the past kind of about like how we do our co-op map build but this is going to be a little bit more broad into like just different things you think about with different styles of map making and then getting into some of the really weird variants of map making because uh mac is typically a pretty big fan of that sort of uh shenanigans right and also i feel like one of the good things about max philosophy about making maps is that uh, i feel like you prioritize fun up oh, there, yeah. I feel like, um, would you say that is true? Does that feel right? Uh, part fun, part lunacy. I mean, let's be real. Yeah. I'm a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after, after watching the holiday episode, I don't think anyone could say I'm anything other than a monster at this point. So Right, right. right. <laughs> fun is a weird word for that holiday spectacular. Yeah, that, uh, I don't know how that was fun for you, Hunter. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... 
I, I, I'm over it now. I mean, at the time, I felt... Uh, honestly, your map was not the biggest offender to me. It was the it was just a, everything it was a combination of everything right. there were so many together. factors dragging that game on and making it kind of a, a dastardly experience but honestly um, i loved a lot of the decisions that the map forced in round one um for those listeners that maybe uh have not seen the holiday spectacular i would recommend that you uh, oh wait well they can't view that episode yet can they matt I'm I'm telling you I've been working on it, but uh, that is a hard one to recover. That game is has been corrupted to all get out. Ah, oh, um, dang. Well, the, um, but I'm still working on it. it. I haven't given up. I'll say that much. Um, but it is it has been a struggle to make that one happen. Ah, uh, well, what what would you say is the hook of this particular map? What is the thing that that makes this this once everyone sees it, which hopefully they will someday? Um, what would you say is the thing the number one uh thing to know about this map that you created, Mac. So the main thing with this map, before anything else, I feel like I have to tell why I even created this map. So probably about three months ago, um, Unaligned Magi and I were talking about Eclipse randomly in the Space Cats Discord. And he was talking about how the map was set up on it, where everything starts in the second ring. Um, as you go outward, the systems are worse. As you go towards the center, the systems are better. So that's kind of how the map design started. Then I realized that that's boring because then there's really nothing in the outer center. If you have someone like Sar in this game, mm-hmm. they're dead. You can't do anything as Sar. And Matt said one day, probably about two months ago, hey, can you make us a map for a random game we're going to play? So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll throw all sorts of shade at you guys. That'll be fun. So the whole idea about this map is that I'm trying to force you to have more conflict. I'm trying to make it so that the first couple of rounds aren't just the normal, oh, we expand into our high slice and go right. from there. With this map, if you have some evil audience agenda members who are deciding that you have to go to have the uh, um, the objective where you have to go to adjacent to Mechatol, well, yeah. now everyone's there. So <laughs> you really are forced into conflict in this map but I made it in such a way that it's not something that you can just go and easily get objectives. If you look at the map right. design, all of the like all of the different planet types, it's not easy to get four. Right. The three tech specialties in the middle are the best three planets, so people want are one of the best six systems. So you people want to go there. The other five are thrown into where the home systems normally go. So now you got to go outwards for that too. Right. So it's designed to make the middle equidistant systems the home systems and make it fun at the same time to where people aren't just going to build PDS rings and go, okay, well now no, nothing can happen. You've got to have conflict in this map. You've got to actually mm-hmm. partially play space risk. Well, and, and so to give a kind of, to, to give Testament to that working out um, very quickly, I think it was like round two or three is when SAR realized they had better chances of winning. If they stopped going for points and just tried to take out everyone's home system and threaten <laughs> uh, support for the thrones from everybody. Like I'm going to build the biggest SAR ball I can and I'll take every home system unless you give me support for the throne. Exactly. And that became his only goal. He stopped caring about any objectives and was just like, no, 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 no. It's all about conflict and nothing else. So. I think that that also scans though, just because it was Sean, and I think Sean generally is yeah, well. uh, it down to kind of like undercut the the stated purpose of the game and be right. like, no, I've made up my own game this now. Is my new game, right? I've decided to play. Right. Yes, yes. Um, 
but yeah, I I actually I know it probably didn't seem like it uh, in the video, but I actually <laughs> really enjoyed the map, um, especially the dynamic uh, where the audience forced us to almost instantly um, get into conflict with each other because right. they picked the having ships adjacent to Megatol, which was essentially, I mean, very, very difficult to accomplish, uh, but was right. going to right away force aggression. I liked that part. It was only right. when so, like too many of the audience agendas were stacking on top of each other that mm. my mind turned to goo and faded away and I became right. some sort of strange animal. Well, well, what got <laughs> sad was it started to get so far away from the original design of the map that like I want to now do another stream where we just play on the map, but I play agree. standard rules for everything else because it will still have an insane outcome in terms of how the players have to play. So if anything, Max Map didn't get its due diligence just purely because by the end of the game, too many insane things were happening that we couldn't we couldn't do what the rest of the map was supposed to to kind of incentivize. So I am practically already committing to, to playing on that map again in some future stream. Yeah, I would like to. I really dug it. But Mac, was there anything that you would have changed about that map at this point? Like if you had another whack at that one, is there anything you think you would update? Or do you feel like for the... Because I mean, I don't... I, I, I It's hard for me to remember exactly that, like remember the map perfect, perfectly. But sure. I just wonder if there's anything you would have changed. Oh, I have the map up, so I can look at it and tell you exactly what it <laughs> Um Probably, I think my major pro uh, design flaw with the map is the center ring. Because it's open space or the wormholes are the wormhole planets. So it's not really something that you can easily like tinker with because you want the outsides to be pretty decent. So that right. way you have someone like Sar to go up there. I think the major thing I would do is I'd throw the gravity rift into the middle too, just to really mess with somebody. Because again, I'm a lunatic and let's be real. That's kind of funny to somebody, but otherwise with this style of map, it's not going to be balanced. You can't balance it. When Matt and I were originally talking about the design of the map, his major concern was, Oh, it's not that you're looking at planet types anymore. It's how many two planet systems does everyone have? They can just start stacking PDSs onto. Right. It was so terrifying. The, yeah. the idea of just how quickly people were going to get PDS two and just start bombing each other. Exactly. That's why extra was such an amazing pick in that game. And I must, con I must commend the players for not just going with the, Oh, this will just be a stall out fest. Like we're just right. going to do this right. now. Um, but that's really it. I, I'm very happy that I did not do what my original idea was to put the supernova someone randomly because I feel like the supernova has no place in this map whatsoever. Right. Yeah, because the outside ring just needs to be, like you said, kind of this weird wasteland of the rest of things you need to get points. So if the supernova is out there, its only option is in that outer ring, and then it's it's just not even a thing. It doesn't exist, really. Exactly. And even having, like, the nebula out there doesn't feel great just because then you're just having the stall for somebody to go, oh, well, now I have to stop my ships in here. All right, I guess I'll wait a turn. But, yeah, I, I mean, that's yeah. the major thing. Yeah, I think so, I, I think that uh, I really like that because uh, I the what it felt like to play on that map was, like, it felt like at any point someone was going to throw a command counter down in an exciting way. And that was like right. my favorite thing about it was that like every single turn, 
you could see someone being like, I'm activating this system, believe it or not, and now we're going to fight here. Right, um, right. And there were a lot of... I think... I. Th- I do feel like, though, that that did get a little obscured by all the other crazy wonkiness. Uh, but especially yeah. in the early game, that it was a constant feeling of like, well, let's see. Because uh, especially I do a lot of calculation of like how many command counters everybody else has and mm-hmm. how how many of them can access different parts of my, you know, because you never know what people's action cards are. So a lot of times I will just see like, you know, even if somebody can only bring a small fleet to to strike at me, I don't know what they have. So maybe they have a play in mind. Um, so for me, it was a nightmare because my brain was constantly evaluating all the different fleets that could reach my home system or reach. So like most of the time I just sat in two big, I just tried to build up as large a fleets as possible and just sit there and be like, all right, so even if somebody comes at me, at least there's this. Um, but that right. was kind of an exhilarating way to play, honestly. Exactly. And it's not supposed to be something that, like I said earlier, it's not supposed to be something that's balanced. So we're not going for, oh, this right. is tournament yeah. level now. This is, what can I do to really mess with somebody's normal perception of what Twilight Imperium is and give them something for the right. people who have played 100 games? They need something new. Yeah. Like, let's be real. <laughs> and, and to a certain degree, that's that's sort of why we I always come back to you for maps is because I know that you have that intent. And when we do streams, a lot of the times we are trying to kind of like very intentionally work outside of the bounds of TI because, I don't know, I've just always been afraid of how many people are really just going to watch a nonstop stream of a regular game of TI. I want I want people to see things that are going to make them laugh and see them, you know, have things that are going to are, are going to be outside of their experience. I, I want them to experience something new, which is why um, using your maps are always are always so fun. I, I'm I'm interested in kind of pulling back from that conversation, though, to talk a little bit more um, about how people can can use these philosophies for their own maps. Um, since since you make so many kind of kind of working backwards from specifics of that map. um, what are some of your other favorite uh, variants on maps, Mac? What, what else do you like to do, or, or how are different ways you try to challenge yourself when building a map? So the major map I'm working on right now is the one you alluded to in the um, Holiday Spectacular Preamble. I'm trying to figure out a way to make a three-galaxy map. So for anyone who didn't listen to that, a three-galaxy map is exactly what it sounds like. You have two side galaxies that have three home systems in them each, and typically they're connected by a wormhole. The wormhole leads directly to Mechatol Rex in a much smaller galaxy. The problem with building this map, however, though, is that everything is so far away. You have two separate games going on right now where you've got three people playing on one side, three people playing on the other side, and maybe someone will go in the middle. Right, right. Yeah, the so the and and it's funny because the what you allude to is also a thing that was just a straight up normal variant in TI three, but that was after many many planets got added that they started making all these bigger, uh, weirder um, uh, maps and and I played on one one time that was actually kind of a step further away from that and my experience was exactly what you're describing, Mac, which was just that like everything was so far away that the game just was this kind of like slow crawling slog like it, it it wasn't actually that much fun because it was so slow to play on and this is in ti3 where there was a lot more available movement so that kind of map in ti4 where it's kind of difficult to get really far really fast uh it, it seems like that is certainly an even higher risk uh, exactly for, for that kind of a map i think 
just from going over some ideas that I've had in my head and comparing it with how TI3 evolved with Shards and Shattered Empire, uh-huh. once we have an expansion that grants us eight players, I feel like that would actually work if you're yeah. able to tinker it a little bit. So just as a little bit of an um, insight into the map I'm creating, um, the idea behind all of my maps is that you're always still two or three movement hexes away from Megatel Rex, just like a normal game. So in this one, rather than the three galaxies having an outer ring where the home systems are, then an inner ring, then finally the wormhole, everything was placed right next to the wormhole. And if you can do that with a four-player map, which is going to be hard, something's going to mess up, and it might work better, but the problem is now that then you just have all these people two hexes away that are just going to fight each other instead. Right. So it depends on how what kind of systems we get in an expansion. It depends on it depends on um the other thing I think we need is a wormhole nexus for it. Yeah, I'm yeah, just... yeah. That's a that's a big factor in in TI three maps too. Is, is yeah, that, that opens up so many opportunities. Yeah, and like. I feel like you could theoretically use if you have someone that's willing to mess around and do crazy things like I do and mm-hmm. have extra little tokens and use the creative system as a little wormhole nexus. You could kind of mess around with it just with extra right. creative tokens in the actual system itself. But right. Yeah, that's and, the kind and of honestly, thing I'm the map right you're now. describing has really weird implications for ghosts, anyways. Exactly. Um, because then ghosts doesn't have to go through the central system. They can go from one home system area to the other very quickly. And it's just a very strange idea there. Um, for those that don't know, too, the Wormhole Nexus was a system in TI3 that had one planet in it, but had an alpha and a beta wormhole. So you could get to it from any wormhole and then go out of any wormhole, essentially. Um, so that's kind of what we're describing is something that is a further connection between these two desperate, uh, disparate um major system areas the other major variants that i've been into um, making maps for are um right now i'm trying to make a shaved four-player map that kind of messes with the rules a little bit um shaved four-player map normally a four-player map has the full system just with the home systems placed in weird places well now the sides are cut off pretty simple but it cuts down on the cold war aspect of four-player maps which everyone hates yeah, mm-hmm. and then including course, me. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't like four players at all, Hunter. <laughs> that, that's true, but that would help if, if if the map was better. It would help. Exactly, and then everyone's favorite um, hyperlanes and the um, just the five player because let's be real, the trade good method is not great for five players. It's not great. Yeah, describe <laughs> describe that for people. Let's keep working our way kind of through the different variants uh, that any player could have access to. Um, so yeah, Mac, describe the hyperlanes for me because I think there's a lot of people out, here, out there who aren't really sure what we're talking about when we say that. So hyperlanes, as I use them, is you have a five-player map, but traditionally in a five-player map, again, it's a full map, but the players, if you're looking at it as a clock with one of the, with the middle player being at the 12 o'clock ring, you have someone at the 7 o'clock, the 5 o'clock, and the 12 o'clock who gets extra trade goods. Instead of doing that, you just cut out the 6 o'clock slice completely, and they connect to each other now. Some pieces, some players will put a planet system in the middle of it. Some people won't. But that kind of makes it so that you don't have an inherent advantage where you just have this extra slice that someone at the bottom can come and get, and that also just has random four trade goods that can boost an entire 
first round into something that's completely different than normal. Yeah. Um, and, and people have complaints about this because the, the typical argument is that it messes up the objectives. So the important part to any sort of warp zone map where you're removing a bunch of system tiles uh, more so than you ever would. I mean, you, you end up removing six uh, system tiles when mm -hmm. you do a warp zone. Uh, so the important thing is don't don't remove systems randomly. I mean, you do need to be intentional with the systems that you get rid of. That's why this becomes more of a intentional map making rather than like a weird map making process. You kind of have to invent these rules. So the big point there is if you're removing six systems, make sure, you know, make sure it's essentially what the hand of one player would be is how I usually think of it. Get rid of two anomalies and four planet systems. And within those four planet systems, make sure they even out within the traits that you're removing. Um, you know, if you can make it be too blue, I mean, too cultural, too industrial, too hazardous, that's perfect. Or two of one and one of the other two, some, something that keeps it a little bit uh, balanced on the traits. Because if you remove four planet systems and six of those planets are hazardous, obviously you just made hazardous uh, planet trait objectives essentially impossible. Yeah. So when when you make these new maps, you have to take those in, those considerations in. And the only reason we recommend them, though, is because you end up getting... You, you turn the asymmetry of a five-player game into essentially a symmetrical experience. Um, you, you are recreating a six-player game. Exactly. And that's a major complaint that a lot of players have. Like, any players that I've played with, they the, the trade good variant doesn't work. It's it's too powerful for the people who do get trade goods, and yep. it's it doesn't balance it out correctly. So the community coming up with this variant has helped a lot, I feel, in helping to make creative maps, interesting maps, and maps that are actually playable for non-six-player games. Right. Well, and what's funny about the Warp Zone is technically, yet again, that's something that in TI3, like, FFG put out a, a, a version of that. Like, that was an officially released map uh, that existed, uh, was was the Warp Zone. It looked completely different and was even more complicated because you actually had to use wormhole tokens. Right. To, to, you had to specifically to... mark it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, but... but it, it's like that's they had why people... lanes that were yes. you could only stay in one lane or something like that i don't right. know and and it still works that way but it just it it got very confusing um pe people the, the main thing people don't like about five player maps is visually it takes a minute to kind of readjust and, and for the two people on either side of the warp zone they typically kind of forget that they are adjacent to each other essentially mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know a lot of times they'll forget to trade together or they're f they'll forget they can fire pds if they have pds too right Weird little things like that um, but once you get used to it, it does take, you know, maybe one full game of playing on it before you're like, okay, I, it feels normal now. But I don't like going back to any other way of doing five-player games. No. In fact, we have tried others. We've seen people try maps that are just balanced um, without using trade goods, but use the entire system. But played on one so far, and it, and it did not work out in a way that I enjoyed. Uh, it just shifted all of the power to the two players that, you know, aren't surrounded on either side. Um so I still stand by Hyperlane, Warp Lane, whatever you want to call it. The Warp Zone being the, the best option for a five-player game. No, of course. And I will say for anyone who's playing in person, not on Tabletop Simulator or whatever, mm -hmm. um, if you have Twine, you can literally mark mm -hmm. the Hyperlanes very quickly. We had to do it for right. a game I had right. in person, and it just made everything infinitely easier to try to figure out who yeah. was adjacent to everything. For sure. Um, so what's fun, too, is to, to kind of keep exploring this uh, this headspace of warp zones. Um, I know for myself, I've, I've tried to create a map that uses warp zones in a different way. And I know um, Jensen from, from last week's uh, game has created a four-player version of 
the same thing that I did with three players, which is to use lots of worm uh, warp zones. So I have a I have a three player map called the Trident, which you can find on the uh, uh, Twilight Imperium subreddit's wiki. So if you go to reddit.com slash r slash wiki slash maps um that's like a big repository of a bunch of maps and in there is my three-player trident map which is uses three separate warp zones and i had to be very very specific with the planets i left in but it is a playable map that has all objectives possible on it despite removing 18 system tiles from the map Ooh. um yeah so it it was a big uh, undertaking, but uh, I've played on it once with Alec and Jensen, and it was a fun game. It, it completely changes the dynamic of a three-player game um, into something that is feels more like a, I don't know, a very tactical, like, you're going to fight. I mean, you're just, you are absolutely going to. The problem with a typical three-player map is the players are so far away from each other that it is kind of the slowest version of TI. But with this map, you're all right next to each other, and you know, Mechatol Rex becomes a bigger problem. And, and I don't know, I, I basically suggest it to anyone. If you want to try a three player game that is much more faster and much more contentious, give Trident um, a go. And the same goes for four player games with, um, what did he call it? The pitchfork or, or something like that. Uh, Jensen has a map. That's a four player map on that same wiki. Yeah. It's the pitchfork. I have it up. <laughs> yeah. I did have a question about that map since you brought it up. Um, sure. Because I haven't gotten a chance to play it, because obviously I don't get to play it on a lot of games, unfortunately, right now. Um, what was the design intent around keeping the two different warp zones on it? The two, I'm sorry, the wormholes or the warp zones? Oh, uh, wormholes, sorry, not warp zones. So the wormholes <laughs> exist um, purely to, A, keep ghosts relevant, um, because without any wormholes... Ghosts don't get to do anything interesting at all. Yeah. Um, and also, there's a secret objective where you have to have ships in the alpha wormhole and the beta wormhole. Uh, and it just... I, I I never have been a fan of removing um, the option of wormholes altogether. Um, so, although the, the planets, um, Lodor and Quan, could not make it into the map because there's just not enough room to mess around with that, you need the wormholes to be available so that that objective can still get claimed. Again, my, my goal with Trident was to make a map where you could play and you don't have to remove anything else from the game. You, you're just removing system tiles. You don't have to get rid of objectives. Every objective is possible. There are enough tech skips. There are enough planet traits of every type and you have the wormholes so you can score any type of objective. And there are um, a total of three anomalies, which means you can get adjacent, <laughs> you know, three systems adjacent to anomalies. So. Um, effectively, it is still Twilight Imperium with nothing else changed except for lots and lots of systems removed. Would um, you say it is very difficult though? Because this sounds—you're making this sound very is, hard you, now. I would not. Um, I would not play the map if you're like not prepared to get into fights. Uh, the map absolutely requires fighting to accomplish anything at all. Um, right. To score more than half the objectives, you will butt heads uh, with each other. And in fact, even in our, our first playtest with it, we even debated, I, I may add um, three more planets around Mechatol, which kind of cover up part of the warp zone. But we did actually have a problem of it was very, very easy to cut people off from Mechatol. Since there were only there's only three systems surrounding Mechatol, which means all somebody has to do is take two of those systems and one person take the other. And one person is 100% cut off right from access to mechatol which again means okay well you got to fight through a lot more stuff and it's just at every um decision point you have to 
you have to fight. I mean, you just do. So it's it, and it's also really um, resource starved as a map. I mean, each slice is it's a four six slice, it's a three eight slice, and a four seven slice with uh, really good systems in between. Um, so you're going to fight over the equidistant systems, and you're going to need to fight because you're not going to have enough money to accomplish anything without doing that. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah. Again, just the whole the whole game is from the get go. You're like, oh gosh. I'm just going to have to start fighting him. I cannot survive and do anything if I don't start jumping on them. I mean, honestly, if two players really wanted to, they they would. it is a smart play on this map to team up against one person right away and try to eliminate them. I mean, that is, that is like an incredibly viable approach to that three-player map. That's so you, to make a map yeah, where that's something <laughs> that would be, yeah, that just has like a mean streak to it. Well, and so so why do we do why do we do this? Why do we change maps all of the time? Why aren't we just playing Twilight Imperium? Because it's written. fun. What, what is the reason? Because it's yeah, fun. Okay. But yeah, Mac, I'm curious what draws you into wanting to do new maps versus just straight up doing normal competitive build style. Why, why do you push away from that? Actually, this started because of you guys, so... <laughs> Um, you guys posting in one of the Patreon channels to have someone make a map. That's what started everything because yeah, you just got hooked. Exactly. It was a drug that we fed you. Exactly. Plus I know like from having friends who are streamers, especially with streaming board games, especially a game as long as twilight Imperium, right? There's gotta be something that keeps people interested or you're going to have one or two people in the chat that are just like, I love twilight Imperium. This is my life. So, Mm -hmm. That's what started me on making maps that were different, but not necessarily that broke all the rules. Then I got right. bored of that and decided, no, I want to break rules now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, too, because I've always avoided breaking too many rules, um, purely because in TI3, there was a reputation for there was a community mod, which lots of people still use to this day. And it's called uh, Shattered Ascension. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a thing called Star by Star, which is where you don't even have to have hex shaped systems anymore and and even so like even in your multi-system map mac uh the the three systems still abide by some sort of logic within a hexagon star by star you just have these amorphous blobs and home systems are in completely random spaces you'll have home systems that are adjacent to each other and they do a lot of work to make sure those maps are balanced but for me i was never interested in going down that route mostly because initially uh, shattered ascension required a lot of new rules and before tabletop simulator was a thing I mean, you had to download the PDF. Sometimes you had to make your own components. It was initially very difficult. They have since made it much easier to adopt Shadow Ascension. Now it's still in a pseudo TI. It's really, it's essentially TI 3.5 um, is, is what Shadow Ascension looks like now. And there's a really great community for it. And I know they have a separate Discord that they're always looking to add people to. But for me, I was, I was just always hesitant because, I don't know, I wanted to play something close to standard ti i didn't i didn't want to shake it up too much but i don't know the the more we try to do these streams the more i'm willing to start to kind of push away from that yeah i think it's crazy that you just brought up shattered ascension for the first time i think this is the first time we've ever talked about him on the show right right yeah it is it is we've never we've never really brought it up but it's it's it was initially a very scary system but there's so many people now that play it that it's it would be very easy to learn because you're just you've got a whole community there ready to, to teach you yeah um so and I think a lot of this pushes too, at least for me, uh, the original intent um, to start to stop playing by the rules was because it always just felt like we were playing on the exact same map um, in TI3. You know, with, with normal competitive build, Mechatol Rex is a graveyard uh, surrounding it. Everyone puts all these big systems 
next to themselves. If you get a lucky draw, you end up with an amazing system that you really can't be stopped. But more importantly, you get a couple people who have really terrible draws and their whole game is ruined because there's there's nothing else. So that was the very first problem we ever ran into where we were like, well, what if we just kind of slightly modify how this game is played so that we can maybe make it a little bit more balanced? That's why we started doing the uh, cooperative build. Um, and plenty of people still argue that cooperative build ends up making kind of the same map every single time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's why there's a de- desire from the community to constantly shake up how you decide to build the map. I mean, I know for me nowadays, I'm just, I would rather play on pre-made maps because I know half of our players typically are just like, I don't care what the map looks like. I just want to play TI. So I spend time away from the table, just making maps so that then when we sit down, it's like, here's a map. There's a theme to it. I mean, that was kind of the entire thing with the Patreon tournament was like, we want to have a bunch of maps for each round that have a, a goal in mind that, essentially still follow all the rules of TI, but offer something different than um, competitive build would do or what cooperative build would always end up doing. Um, if we just create the map ahead of time and have it sitting there, we, we can have a, a thematic kind of game that follows a certain sort of meta rule within that game. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Patreon map we have right now is, is very much this sort of thing that pushes everybody towards Mechatol Rex and uh, forces you to fight in the center of the map rather than very much fighting in between you and your neighbor. Yeah. I will say, with the um, with the tournament map, I feel like that's, at least now with the systems we have, that's as balanced as you're going to get while still having it fun. Because every, yeah. every um, home slice is different. Like, you have right. different things that are... You have different races that are going to want to be in different slices. You have to consider what you want to do throughout the game. You've got to make sure that it works with the objectives you get dealt. And since that is randomness in the game, you have to account for it. And with the map you guys have created, you guys have done a good job of eliminating as much of that variability as possible to where everything's achievable, but maybe not in the exact same way. And I feel like I'm going to say this, and I think it's kind of a little bit ludicrous, but at the same time, I'm a, firm believer of it if people start building maps that slightly defy the rules not necessarily yeah. breaking the rules entirely but i feel like that will help them be a better player because now they're having yeah. to think of ways to do things in certain slices or in certain positions and then that'll be able to translate to oh well i've had a system like this before now i know how to score get three anomalies when they're on the other side of the table yeah, well, I that like was that. a big that was a yeah that was a big goal of this tournament. That's why we decided to go with this drafting method is because exactly what you're describing is is certainly what I seek out in games, which is I want you to be specifically trying to acquire a certain type of slice because you want to play this faction on this slice. Um, being just kind of getting a lucky draw of a slice is not as interesting as like no, I I want to make this active decision. That's why Hunter and I were such we pushed so hard for the drafting being a part of our specific tournament is because I think those are both the decisions we like to see. That's not the only type of decision. And at the Gen Con tournament, we saw really brilliant decisions get made in competitive building. It's just that we wanted to do a different style. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at with all of this is it's about keeping TI fresh, right? The whole goal here is not to completely change TI because we think original TI isn't as good. It's that we wanted to get a new kind of map. We want to get a new kind of gain and we want to constantly change what is um, accomplishable on a, a typical TI map. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's ultimately my goal is 
doing what's different and making it fun. Because let's be real, this is a board game. We're all here to have fun. Some of us, yes, are here to win tournaments. Unlike Jensen, it seems, because he didn't win and this last maps. week. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> <laughs> and I currently, um, Jensen doesn't know, but him and I currently have a rivalry that's unfortunately going to get on hold for a while. But yeah, <laughs> so thank you for whoever beat him last week. But um, <laughs> realistically, we're all here to have fun. And that's my main right. goal, is to make a fun map that someone will go, why did I do this? Like EJ yeah. In the Holiday right. Spectacular going, did you see the map? That's when I gave up. Right. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm sorry you gave up, but it was fun. You know it was. Let's be real. It was funny to watch. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I wanted to call out something uh, specifically, and I hope I'm not wrong about this, but the first map you made for us was the 100, 100K downloads stream, right? When we celebrated getting 100,000. Was that it? I With don't all remember the, that map. It had it had all the best systems adjacent yes, to Mechatol. That was a Mac. Yeah, and then yeah, and then the Gravity map. Rift was like one, like it was like the five best systems, and then Gravity Rift at like twelve o'clock. Um, I loved that map. That map was so yeah. much fun to play on, and it was weird. It felt like at the time a, a revelation for right. all of the best uh, hexes to be right there in the center. And I just wanted to thank you because I remember I, play, I played on that map as extra and I won and I love extra and I feel like it's really hard to win with extra and there was yeah. a lot that worked out well for me. But yeah, I just remember really, really digging that map. I'm glad you like the map. I will be completely honest. I don't remember making that map. It doesn't mean it didn't <laughs> happen. So if anyone eroded this and said, no, it was my map, it's your map. I promise I'm not going to take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> That would be great. Our first errata directed at somebody else. Right. That would be like a fun <laughs> new thing that somebody else got called out. That would be yeah, great. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> well, um, I, I think that that kind of wraps up this conversation. I think that's the main thing I wanted to to cover. I don't know, Mac. Do you have any other any big points that you want to talk about, just within map making in general, or or uh, types of Maybe maybe what's what's a teaser for the next kind of Mac map aside from this wormhole? Ooh, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. are other ideas you want to explore in future maps? Um, so the major map I want to work on is the three galaxy map that I hinted at right now. But otherwise, the next map, the only teaser I will tell you is I'm sorry, Hunter. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Oh wait. <laughs> I yep, I remember this thing. Okay. That's a great teaser. I'm sorry, Hunter. That's it? That's um, all? That's literally that's it. it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> um, the follow-up to that is look forward to a future Space Kitty episode to see the results of, uh, of this disaster. Um, but yeah, let's, let's call it there with, a, with an ominous <laughs> warning to Hunter. And, and uh, just Mac, me. And the, the rest of the audience exactly. is just sitting is, here like, what is, no, what it is, is so going on It is so specifically now? against you and towards you and despite oh. you. Okay. Um, oh, geez. Mac, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for um, being on the show. I want to thank you for all of your support just over the many months. Um, of course. You've, you've been with us and, and you're always on the Discord as a fun person to talk to. So I just, I just really appreciate you being a part of the community and, and kind of helping us um, have more fun with the game. You have certainly uh, made Hunter and I both have a lot more fun playing. Yeah, you, you have successfully made the game more fun. I can say that for sure. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you guys, of course, for doing the podcast and having me on. Thank you, Mac. And uh, I think Hunter and I need to jump over to Arada. Um, there will be some things to talk about last week. But uh, but again, thank you, Mac, for, for being a part of this show and this community. Yeah.
All right, so let's get this errata done in this like very extra long episode today. Yeah, okay. You guys are just getting so much with this tournament. Content. <laughs> yeah, geez. Um, so we only we only really have one piece of errata because last year or last last year last it was a whole year episode. ago. Um, <laughs> it feels like a year ago. Uh, last week we talked uh, just about basically the first game of the tournament. Um, but we did have some interesting errata that some discussion anyways, that happened between, um, a listener and Jensen who played right. as Joel Nahr in that game and right. kind of now famously lost. It's kind of becoming, right. uh, I would, uh, you know, it would annoy me to no end that, that me losing a game of Twilight Imperium <laughs> is such big news to everybody. Like, honestly, yeah. I have. I don't. Even, I haven't talked to Jensen that much. I have become such a huge fan of him through all of this. Like because it, he mu- he must be he must be great. He must be great because of how much people are like seem pretty excited about him losing a game. Yeah, like right. I've lost so many games of Twilight Imperium, and people just aren't like, oh, good, great, right. you know. Right. So yeah, so he must I, be. I want to really read the first this. half of this, and then you can read Jensen's response. Okay, that works. So. A LMAO31 said, <clears throat> uh, Jensen, Jensen, sir, reporter Faco News here from Mechatol. Uh, how did you manage to lose with a start like that? Uh, well, I had a plan to win in the status phase and expected the ghost player to take either Mechatol or the extra home system. I didn't say anything, though, because I didn't want the Arborek player to move his flagship from the Alpha Wormhole. The ghost player didn't notice the extra threat and took my home system instead of extra, which also kept me from taking it. I should have announced the danger and taken my chances with Arborek. Um... That's a very specific reference that if you don't have the game quite in your head, you sure. might not get. Um, but the, the point is, in the final round, uh, Extra just kind of got handed the game because nobody noticed he was going to win. Um, and the fact is that actually a couple people noticed it, but in Jensen's case, and, and what cost Jensen the game is opting to try to be a little bit more of a, a subterfuge subterfuge play um, and not reveal that, like, hey, Extra is definitely the target because... The only way he can win is if he knocks out a kind of a, a poorly defended flagship, but he couldn't let that thing get away. So right. um, a little bit of defense on Jensen's behalf. Let him kind of reclaim some of his uh, his <laughs> dishonor or whatever you want to call it. Oh, whatever. The- his trade was awesome. He yeah. he had such good <laughs> trades. All right. I'm yeah, a I'm, a, I mean, I'm a Jensen boy right now. I'm, I'm wearing my Jensen shirt. <laughs> my go Jensen shirt. Uh-huh. I'm like, I, you know, I'm thinking Jensen. If we if we do wild cards in this tournament, which we uh-huh. who knows, maybe we'll do wild cards. What does that even mean? I don't know. I'm not a sports know. guy. We, we might have them though, and it'll be wild. Yeah, actually, I think we, maybe we should do a game, a stream after the tournament where we do like the biggest, the most famous losers, right, from the right. tournament Everyone who they, almost had it, but but completely got robbed or yeah, something like that. The lose the those losers bracket to a. <laughs> Get invited to a special game to reclaim their honor. Yeah. Um, hey, I want you to go to Space Cats Pod at Space Cats Pod on Twitter for game updates and announcements. I want you to go to our Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles, for announcements, and you can also ask us questions there. Go to the Twilight Imperium subreddit to see our episode posts as well as all the other posts. There was a really good post this week uh, of someone giving an incredibly detailed list of defenses for Sardak Nor and why they should not be a bottom tier faction. And it Ooh. is amazing. It is like a novel. <laughs> That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really good. 
Um, you can go to our Board Game Geek for discussion with RoboFish and a calendar that doesn't exist. Uh, you can go to our Patreon. <laughs> uh, to Please contribute to our Patreon because it helps us do more things with the show. It also gets you a lot of fun benefits like you get to play games with us. You get to have episodes like today. If you're a space kitty, you get to be the you know, producer of an episode of Space Cats Peace Turtles. So consider consider joining. Uh, our Discord is where you can also pick up some of those benefits, lots of conversations um, and votes on things like the Steve Martin Fan Club and the Galactic uh, Council, which we need to do a Galactic Council episode. We're, we're a little bit uh-huh, behind on that. Uh-huh. Um, please rate our podcast on your app of choice, especially Apple Podcasts and iTunes. It increases visibility and gets more people playing Twilight Imperium. Yeah, uh, so my, I'm I'm a comedian as well, stand-up comedian, Hunter Donaldson. Uh, you can check out my YouTube if you go to Hunter Donaldson Comedy. Um, actually, that's not even what the YouTube channel is called. But if you if you put Hunter Donaldson and comedian into your YouTube search bar, you'll, you'll find, find like three clips that you can watch if you just want a little sample of my comedy. If you want to come see me in person, I live in Portland, Oregon. And I do shows all over town all the time, although not not a huge amount this month. Um, but you can see me every single Thursday at Earthquake Hurricane, which is a very good stand-up showcase that starts at 8 p.m. at F- Ford Food and Drink every Thursday. <clears throat> um, I'm also going to be at No Pun Nintendo, which is a uh, stand-up comedy show that happens at an arcade in Portland called Ground Control. And that show will be on January 17th, starts at 9 um, that show in particular uh, is really weird because they don't turn any of the arcade cabinets off, and there's a lot of them, so it's very hard to hear anybody. And it's kind of just a weird <laughs> show where comics get drunk and yell at people, um, which if that's the kind of rowdy energy you're into, it is a blast. Um, <laughs> if you are excited about like a quiet, nice stand-up comedy show where you appreciate the craft and the art of stand-up, uh, not that it is is art not that i'm saying it's art because it most certainly isn't um uh hard stance by hunter Donaldson. yeah no comedy not art i don't know what it is but it's not (laughs) art um the uh one thing one other thing i'll be doing which is actually uh this this one is actually worth your while um there's a very good show that i i honestly have no business being a part of um called brunch box that happens at the hawthorne theater um that show i will be hosting and it is on January 23rd, starts at 8. Um, that is a really cool opportunity for me um, and will be super fun. So you should come to that. Um, I don't know. I feel like there might be tickets to that or I don't really know. So you will you would have to go to the Hawthorne Theater to find out. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank some space kitties. I want to thank Mac. In Mac We Trust, the cartographer of chaos. I want to thank him for the episode. Uh, I want to thank Jim Bob, Dustin Doom, Frederick Durston, Nathan Swenson, and Yin for Life. I also want to thank our players, Imsen, Mark, Furious George, Dodonko, Alex, and Dimitri. Oh, man, I owe Imsen the winner uh, cheesy, cheesy bread. bread. I What's still so owe him a cheesy is, bread. Imsen is the player that last week filled in for the player we stole from a game, and then this week won a game. So I feel like we owe Imsen like four pounds of cheesy bread. He, he's just like... So far behind. On I think bread. I have a plan of what I'm going to do. The Imsen will get his cheesy bread, but he said it, he's been trying to find a place that even serves cheesy bread. I mean, he's from Europe, so I don't know if cheesy. That's kind of an American delicacy, I guess. All right. Well, I got to figure out where he lives because I got a plan. OK, Imsen, hit us up. Hit Hunter up on Discord. Um, let's do a play of the week. Do You want to read it or you want me to read it? Uh, I want to read it. <clears throat> OK, this one is from Robert Feldkamp. I'm a Mentak in a four-player game. 
I had a red and yellow skip in my slice, so I ignored Cruiser 2 to rush mirror computing and War Sons with Assault Cannon. Whoa, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the round after I researched War Sons, round three, we got the War Sun agenda where others could ignore War Sun prereqs and they lost sustained damage and it passed. Round five started with five War Sons on the board and people oh, knowing that I had the threatened enemy's secret objective. Have a ship adjacent to a homeworld. Due to experimental battle stations ruining the, the, that play for me in a previous round. Okay. <clears throat> Hakan's last action could have been to fortify the last system I could score threatened enemies with, but they instead chose to try to destroy my war son and three fighters, which were the ships I needed to score the point. To try to claim destroy their greatest ship. Okay, so Hakan was trying to claim destroy their greatest ship. He brought a war son, five fighters, and a cruiser, a fight he should win. First round, he only scored two hits where I landed four. That's so crazy. Uh, I had a shields holding, so round two was my war son and three fighters against a war son, cruiser, and a fighter. We each scored three hits, so it would have been war son versus war son next round. My heart sank. It would most likely be a draw, but I had a long shot. I played courageous to the end for one of my base fighters that was just destroyed. I rolled a six and then a ten. With Hakan's war son down, I survived a few fighters thrown at me by Nalu to move next to Hakan's homeworld, my next move, and with no way to, for Hakan to retaliate, I scored first with leadership to win the game. Destroying a war son with a courageous to the end via fighter was a fun way to win. It's kind of Star Warsy. It's kind of Star Wars. It's kind of Star Warsy. You remember that? You remember uh -huh, that uh, uh -huh, rule I that do. existed in TI three that was an absolute nightmare. That the Star Wars used? rule. The Star Wars rule. The trench run rule. Uh, yeah, this is so crazy. I, I've been talking a lot recently, like on the Discord, that I'm I'm dreaming of a of a fourteen point Mentat game in Slice of the Gashly. Like I mm -hmm. just want to force that to happen on people and let everyone else get their like magic christmas land set up for each faction i yeah. want to play that on a stream i want everyone to just like darian slice as yin mentak slice of the gash lie uh you know whoever makes sense in every single slice i want to do that game and i want to do this but to hear that then the war sun agenda came out and completely crushed the impact of having those early war suns is yeah. like the most upsetting thing ever if anything that's the like anti-play of the week um more so than the like the, the hero fighter, the trench run of the end. I, I just, I feel so bad for a Mentech that works so hard to get War Sons and then loses all the benefit of War Sons. Honestly, I think the moral of this episode, uh, along with all the great map talk, like the, yeah. the, the side B of this episode, right. is that courageous to the end says destroy. Right. That's, that's... That word there is destroy. I didn't, yep. I didn't remember that it said right. destroy there. Yeah. But it says destroy. It says destroy, and that's a big. That's a big word. That's a. Destroy is such that's, a big word for so few letters. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> word. That's a crazy word. When you see destroy in Twilight Imperium, that means business. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.